This episode of Safe Space Radio is brought to you with support from the Equity Fund, Physicians for Social Responsibility, and listeners like you. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space Radio. Today is part of our ongoing series on LGBTQ teens in Maine. You may know that this group has one of the highest risks of suicide in our country, but you also know that our culture is changing, as evidenced by the passage of marriage equality here in Maine and in many parts of the U.S. So we were curious to hear from some LGBTQ teens about what their life is really like. But before we start with today's interview, I want to invite you, if you have a story about either being or knowing an LGBTQ teen yourself, and you would like to share this story in the hope of helping others, please contact me at drannsafespaceradio.com. That's D-R-A-N-N-E at safespaceradio.com. So my guest today is Aiden, who is 18 years old and a senior in high school in central Maine. Aiden loves to play music, especially guitar, and enjoys helping others and seeing people be happy. He's given presentations about transgender equality in his school and in the community. He's currently an intern at the Trans Youth Equality Foundation, and he's also a big brother at their summer camp. Lastly, he's part of the New Leaders Project through Equality Maine. Welcome to Safe Space Radio, Aiden. Thanks for having me. I know that a lot of people who are trans can date back their first inkling of knowing that they were the other gender from very early. And I'm curious to know, was that true for you? Uh, yeah. Um, I remember like when I was little, um, I always wanted to like play with my brother's toys and we had um, a neighbor who had two daughters and a son and um, I used to always take their son's clothes and so I always wore like boy clothes and stuff. And do you remember what your feelings were about that at the time? Um, I always knew that I didn't want to like dress like a girly girl because it just wasn't my thing. What do you remember as you got older about any beginning kind of clues to yourself about who you felt you really were? Uh, well, through like elementary and middle school, you're just kind of making the friends you have and going through it. But then like once I got to high school, it was kind of like you had to try to fit in. And so like my freshman year of high school, I wore like really girly clothes and stuff. And then like winter, like basketball season, um, I came out as lesbian and wore like guy clothes again because girl clothes just weren't my thing. And being a lesbian felt more right than being a straight girl, I guess, because I do like girls and it was more like a way to put a label on um, how you feel without having to like explain that you just like boy clothes or you just want to wear boy clothes or something like people don't ask about it because it's like you've labeled yourself, I guess. So this is the beginning of sophomore year in high school that mm. this happens, and you come out, and how did that go? Um, some people took it better than others, and, like, um, there was always kids in my school who always had a problem with it, and, like, it's become a lot better now than it ever was, but um, there was a lot of kids who used to pick on me, and my best friend, too, was also a lesbian, and we used to, um, like, sit in the hallway by the gym and, like, skip class and just, like, hang out there because there was nobody else over there, so we didn't have to, like, deal with other kids. Um, but there was times, like, uh, there was this one boy in my English class who used to pick on me, and he was on my brother's lacrosse team. And, like, after school, my brother and him, like, got in a fight about it. 
And how, when you say he used to pick on you, like what would he do? Um, well, it was like they'd call you names or sometimes they'd like shove you into lockers, but I don't know. You just like try to walk away from them quickly or go near a teacher so they'll stop. So it was really pretty vulnerable to be a lesbian in your school, it sounds like. Yeah, it's gotten a lot better, though. I know um, more gay and lesbian kids at my school now that have, like, no problems at all. I'd love to ask you to take me forward from sophomore year. So you've come out. You've got at least one friend who's a lesbian kind of with you, so you have someone who you can connect with or skip class with, it sounds like. Um, But you're getting some harsh treatment at school, and... Tell me a little bit about what what happened next, because of course, eventually you come out as trans. So take me take me from sophomore year identifying as a lesbian to how you learn more about who you are. Okay, well, um, my sophomore year when I went to Seeds of Peace, um, when I went there, it was like one of the most open places I've ever been, and it felt like. It was just home. Like, I'd never been to a place where you could actually be who you wanted to be. And I made a lot of friends there. And when I came back, it was really hard because it was like you get... It's like you're just thrown back into reality. Like, it's like you've been in this dream world of, like, how the world could be, like, perfect. And everybody loves each other. And then you go back to school with kids who, like, hate you for whatever. And um, so when I came back, it was really hard. And I like depression hit me hard and um so I remember like the first two weeks I was back like I didn't want to talk to anybody except like the kids at my school who went to seeds and um so like the beginning of my junior year I still identified as a lesbian and going through that year you know I don't know it just things got harder and I don't know. I can't really remember about if the bullying was still bad, but it was just hard and I didn't feel right as who I was. So I tried to, I don't know, I couldn't figure it out. It was like really hard to figure out who I was supposed to be or who, like I knew I liked girls and I dated girls and um, that felt right, but there was still something like missing. And so, um, I don't know, I couldn't figure it out. And it was getting really, really hard. And in um, March of 2012, I think it was, was when I tried to commit suicide. And then... So it got, when you say it got really hard, it got, you you didn't even want to live anymore. You couldn't see a way forward. Yeah, it was like an internal struggle that you just couldn't figure out. And, and it's like scary asking for help, like... Like, I know you can ask for help, but it's always like, how do you ask for help? It's always really hard to come up with that. And I want to understand that more when you say, how do you ask for help? Like, how would you even know what to say to someone? Is that what you mean? Yeah, and like as a, like, 16, 17-year-old kid, you know, going up to an adult and being like, I am so, I don't like myself, like, and I don't know what to do about it. Like, that is really hard to, like, get the nerve to say that to someone. I felt so alone and unhappy that, like, I didn't even know what to do about it anymore. And so uh, after the suicide attempt, it was either the next day or a couple days after, I told a teacher at my school. And so um, crisis and counseling was called, and um, I got sent to this place to for a couple days to uh, get help and work with, like, um, ways to cope with 
like depression and uh, how to make yourself feel better if you're in like anxious situations. Um, so I went home from there and my mom had to go away for business and my dad was at home with my brother and I didn't really want to stay with them and so my mom asked me if I would go with her to Boston for her business trip and um, so on the car ride down to Boston we were talking about the suicide attempt and like why um, I'd felt the way I'd felt so bad to want to kill myself and I told her that I always felt like I should have been born a boy. Was that the first time yeah. you'd ever said it? How did she respond? Um, I don't know how she felt internally, honestly, but I do know that she was probably relieved to know that there was an answer to all the questions of why it felt so bad and like it was a way to start the next steps of trying to make me feel better. It was something that you could actually do something about. Yeah. Yeah. And so were you clear in your own mind before the first time you said it that that's how you felt? Yeah, I think so. I, I've always known it because I remember when I was little, I used to go to bed and like be like, I wish I could wake up and just be like a boy for a day. If that's all I could have is just a day. I wonder what that would be like. So when I hear you, I'm struck. It sounds almost like on the one hand, I hear you saying, you know, like I kind of knew all what I always knew. And on the other hand, I hear, tell me if this is right, that before the suicide attempt, there's this kind of like knowing without knowing. Like it wasn't, it, I don't hear that you kind of really were clear. Yeah. So what crystallized it? Well, I don't, I think like when I told my mom, it was like, because I honestly had no idea if anything could have been done about it, but I know if, I don't know, something could have happened, like maybe if, I could get my name changed if that's all I could do, but just have a different name than my birth name. And um, I don't know, just stuff like that, or still continue to dress more like a boy. You thought, so I'm, I'm a little confused. You thought that before the suicide attempt? You thought that maybe you could do those things? No, when I told her after. Uh, I see. So you didn't even know about the possibility of testosterone at that point. Right. I see. But so a name change and clothing change seemed like something you could have. Right. Uh-huh. And what was your name before? Uh, Mary. And so you go from being Mary to Aiden. That's kind of a big change. How did the kids respond? How did you tell them? Um, at the end of my junior year, we talked to administration at my school and told them that I wanted to leave school my junior year as Mary and come back my senior year as Aiden. So it was kind of over the summer that I transitioned. But um, at the beginning... So, like, on the roster of the school list, it still said Mary. Um, but we had we asked them to, like, send out an email to all the teachers so all the teachers knew. Um, that way they could call me Aiden, and it wasn't, like, awkward. Like, if someone called Mary, and then I was like, yeah, I'm over here, like. <laughs> really awkward. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back now and ask you a little bit about the decision to go on testosterone. I know that. A lot of parents of, of kids who are making the girl-to-boy transition mm -hmm. can get really nervous about testosterone because it feels like a permanent change. And they really kind of want to know for sure that the kid is sure. 
how did that go for you? Like, did your did you have some really serious conversations with your parents? Like, are you really, really sure? How did you make that decision? Uh, well, before starting testosterone, to even get like, I guess, qualified for it, you have to do like six months of counseling to talk about it and talk about like your transition and all that. So. I remember, like, when I learned about the possibility of testosterone, I wanted to do it, like, right now. But I had to wait, and uh, and I remember, like, um, taking it, like, for my very first time. You, like, go to the doctors, and they give you your first shot, and then you go home and, like, go to bed, and it's like you want to wake up the next morning with, like, a beard or something. <laughs> <laughs> so did you feel any, like, I can imagine lying there in bed going, like, whoa, do I notice anything? Did yeah. You... <laughs> <laughs> and d- what did you notice? What were the changes that started? Well, the first night, nothing happened, sadly, but as the weeks went on, probably a couple weeks into it, about a month, you start to notice, like, your voice changes, and it gets a little bit um, deeper. And I definitely noticed, um, I don't know, it's probably almost a whole year before you even, before I even noticed like any kind of facial hair. And, um, but my voice got deeper and I got more of an Adam's apple, which was cool. And, um, your body changes, like my face shape kind of changed and my shoulders, they got more broad and, uh, you definitely notice like your muscles they get a lot stronger easier but also with the testosterone like things that used to make me cry I wouldn't cry about I would get angry or like um things that used to upset me just don't because it's just like I didn't care anymore I didn't care enough to be upset about it that's kind of intense. Yeah. That. <laughs> and you think that's testosterone. Yeah, I definitely do. <laughs> so stuff that you would, like what would be an example of something that might have made you cry before testosterone that wouldn't now? Um, well, I've always been a sensitive person. So like if I did something wrong and someone confronted me about it, like I would always feel really, really bad about it. And like it would make me upset and I would cry about it. But now I'm just like all right, yeah, I'll just do better next time. Like, I don't get upset about it. Because I can't help but wonder if that's all testosterone or if that's also just that you feel so much better in your own skin. Like, you're just feeling so much more yourself. And Yeah, it could be that, too. I I don't know. I think it's just all of it, like, being able to make the changes to who I want it to be. So as we talk, I'm aware that so much about this feels really celebratory and I also know that sometimes for family members especially who loved you when you were married that there is loss for them like they loved you as that little girl and has it been challenging to kind of hold the same time like your joy at who you are now and your parents say or maybe your brother's feeling of missing that girl that they loved before yeah I know like I think it was hard for my parents at first. Um, I don't think they ever totally expressed it towards me about how they felt, if they felt like they were losing their little girl. And I know my brother, he would talk to me about it sometimes. Um, But I think it was more of, it was like his little sister, he didn't, I don't know, he didn't know what to do about it. His little sister was turning into a boy and he was going to college a few months later and so it was kind of like, um, 
everything was happening right before he was leaving. But now when I see him, he's like, sometimes we'll like tease each other and like punch each other or whatever. And it's cool now. And I think like going through the transition has actually made us closer because like if I am upset about something, he's like one of the first people that I go to to talk to because I know that he cares and he'll listen. And like for my dad, I didn't really tell my dad. I I talked about it with my mom and she told him and like he just kind of learned to go with it as it went on. But my dad and I have never had like a really close relationship. He'd always just like been there but never totally been involved. Were you anxious to tell him yourself? My dad, no. Like, I don't know. When I first came out, if there was a way that I could have not told him, I probably wouldn't have. But, like, now that I think about it, I feel like that would have been wrong. Well, I think you would have noticed, Aiden. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think it would have been pretty clear. (laughs) So now, do you guys ever talk about it? Like, has he ever said anything about what it's been like for him to adjust to it? No, we never honestly talked about it. Like, my parents got divorced, um, I don't know, a couple months after I came out, maybe five or six months, I don't remember. But, um, and I only see him a little bit now. I don't, I see him like Christmas or when my brother's home for break, we'll go to dinner with him or something. But we never really talk about it. We just, I don't know. It's a weird relationship that we have. So it sounds like he's, he's, he doesn't fight it. It's not like he argues with it, but he doesn't embrace it either. It's sort of like this silent thing between you. Yeah, it's just kind of like a neutral thing. Like, he just treats me as his son. It's like, it's not like he tries to treat me as his daughter or like we talk about why I wanted to be a boy or anything like that. I can imagine that if I was um, going to become a boy and on testosterone that I would be self-conscious about the way I move my body. Like, I would be self-conscious about the way I walk or the way I gesture. And I'm curious, did you feel like you had to practice that? Or how did that go? Um, yeah, I think I became more um, conscious about it. But I remember my, t- my friends used to tease me and be like, you need to walk more like a boy. And, like, we'd, like, do it in the hallway or something at school. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just... I don't know, you had to, like, act more masculine because that's what people expected of you. Not that you really had to, but it's just you wanted to meet what society puts as a masculine norm. So, like, you had to have, like, a strong handshake if you were shaking people's hands or you had to, like, keep your legs more spread apart when you sit. You keep your legs farther apart than crossing them or something. Or, um, I don't know, my friends always tease me about things, like little things, but... Yeah. It sounds like it's an easy subject like for for you to be able to be teased about something. There has to be like a kind of ease about it. It isn't supercharged and awkward. Yeah. It's really nice. Um in Maine, we've recently had this ruling by the Maine Supreme Court allowing protecting the rights of trans kids to use the bathroom of their identified gender. And I I think that for some people this is hard to understand um about why bathrooms matter so much. And I wonder if you could tell me what is the importance of being able to use the bathroom of the gender that you are now identifying with? Um, well, just so it's not awkward. I mean, like, 
first, if you're in a bathroom and you're in the guy's bathroom or the girl's bathroom, you should just assume that everybody knows they're in the right bathroom. I mean, I mean now, like, I'm not going to go into the girl's bathroom because, first of all, I feel like that's wrong for me, but that would make other people uncomfortable, too. But, I mean, like, for me, as still a girl going into the girl's bathroom, people thought I was a boy. It was just awkward. So I think, like knowing that you can go into the bathroom you identify as or you feel comfortable in is like it's another thing to make you feel like you're another step closer to being who you are supposed to be. So I want to ask you a really basic question. Um, I think for some people getting their minds wrapped around trans issues is is still a challenge and partly because they might feel like well can't you just sort of act like a boy like can't you just do the things you initially thought like could you couldn't you just change your name and dress differently do you have to you know really go all the way and become a boy they, it's hard for them to understand what makes that important and I'd love to hear how you would explain what makes that really important okay well um I know like when I first told my mom that was what I thought was like if I could just change my name or um, wear boy clothes that I would feel more right and like you do if you get your name changed or people call you by what you want to be called or you start dressing the way you want to dress that feels good but after a while like knowing that it's still not completely there um, it's hard so like knowing that you can take testosterone or estrogen depending on the way you're going is another step and it's a great feeling to be able to go more towards the person you want to be or who you're supposed to be and like for me, I cut my hair, I started testosterone, I dressed like a boy, and, like, that all felt great. And then in the summer, like, for me, I would go swimming, but I had to be the kid that swam with my shirt on because you can't run around on the beach without a shirt on if you have breasts. So, uh, like, the next thing for me was top surgery, and I was really excited about that. And, like, I was nervous at first, and I'm sure my mom was, and... um but, like, I knew that's what I wanted, and I knew, like, that was going to be, like, the most permanent change that could have happened so far. And so, like, we talked about it for a while, but it was, like, I really wanted to do it. Like, I knew that's what I wanted. And so then once I had top surgery, I was, like, really, really excited. And, like, I don't know, it was, like, probably one of the best things that had happened to me so far throughout my transition and, like, being able to go to the beach now in the summer and not have to wear a shirt or the kid that, like, swims with their shirt on, it's a lot better. So when you go to the beach, you get to feel like a regular guy. Yep. So as you know, part of the inspiration for doing these this series was to check in with teenagers one year after the passage of marriage equality and to see how it feels like the culture. It feels like kind of in the whole country, the culture is really changing. Mm -hmm. um, but we wanted to know whether that really feels true in high school. And I'm curious for you as a trans guy, does it feel like marriage equality matters to you? And do you benefit from it? Yeah, I totally think it matters. And I definitely would say I benefit from it because like um, for me, uh, my birth certificate still says female. So... And I would want to marry a woman, so if marriage equality hadn't passed, then it would be like a female marrying a female, so technically wouldn't be allowed to get married. So now, even though I identify as a male, my birth certificate still says female, so I would have to... So now I could marry whoever I wanted to marry, because 
it doesn't matter the genders. Do you hope ultimately to change your birth certificate? Um, yeah, eventually, but I know, but like I got it changed on my license, but to have it changed on your birth certificate, you have to have like the complete surgery. So, yeah. So that's kind of a big deal. Yep. Is that something you hope for in the future or are you not sure about it yet? Um, well, I don't think it would be a bad thing, but I mean, I wouldn't want it right now because I just personally for me, I don't think the technology is like, um, developed enough to make it worth it, I guess. So like, I mean, nobody really sees your birth certificate. So for like me, that's not that big of a deal, but for other people, it might be like a huge deal. I see. So you're hoping that with in, in a few years, maybe the science will improve. Yeah, maybe. So part of what really touches me about your story, Aiden, is that I just picture you as this girl lying in bed dreaming about being able to be a boy for a day. And then all that you've come through, starting out school as a straight girl, coming out as a lesbian, ultimately feeling so despairing you didn't want to live, getting clear you're really a boy and becoming a boy. Such a powerful story. And now I understand you have really taken a real leadership role in, in your school and in, in the state trying to help it help make this easier for other kids I'd love to know about what inspired you to do that and, and what are some of the things you're doing to make it easier for for other kids um, well I think it's really important that everybody has the opportunity to be who they are and I actually have a friend who um, a little over a year ago committed suicide and he was transgender and the most of the stuff I do I do for him so other people don't have to face what he faced because I know firsthand that it's terrifying to feel that way, like you don't belong. And so doing stuff with Equality Maine and talking to the teachers in my school, trying to make them, you know, uh, stand up for bullying and learn more about why it's important to call people by their preferred names and preferred pronouns and just teach them, like, the vocabulary of it all like what transgender really means or anything like that and um i mean in the end you're the person you have to live with like it doesn't matter if who your friends are i mean after high school all those people most of them won't matter and you know by the time you're old the only person you're gonna have left is yourself so you might as well just make yourself happy i'm really sorry to hear about your friend that's the sad truth of it, isn't it? It's really, really hard. It is really, really hard. Do you see just some other tra other kids that come up to you that are questioning this and really want your help? Um, I haven't. There was one boy who moved to my school this year because his school wasn't as accepting. Um, and we kind of became friends through it and through the Trans Youth Equality Foundation. And the foundation does a summer camp. Um, and there's little kids who will go there ages six and seven, and they just want someone to look up to, to be like. And uh, they do a big brothers program each year, which I do. And so I'll have, like, a little brother follow me around at the camp. And, you know, you get to just hang out and you play with them and, you know, just make them feel like who they want to be because you know that... Even though it's just a weekend, you know, it could be the most important weekend of their entire life. 
Aiden, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. It's really very moving to hear your story. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Aiden about his transition from being a girl to coming out as a trans guy. If you would like to learn more about the Trans Youth Equality Foundation and their summer camps, they also do podcasts, they do all kinds of work to support trans kids and their families, you can go to transyouthequality.org. Also, if you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal feelings and doesn't know who to bring it up to or if there's any help, I want to let you know that there really is help and there are people that you can call at any time of the day or night. In the Portland, Maine area, that number is 774-HELP. That's 774-H-E-L-P. And if you are outside of Portland, a national number that you can reach at any time is 1-800-SUICIDE. That's 1-800-784-2433, but an easier way to remember it is 1-800-SUICIDE. If you did not get to hear this whole show and would like to, please go to our website at safespaceradio.com. You can subscribe there to get a weekly email to this week's show. You can also email the link to a friend. You can also download us from iTunes. You can write us a review on iTunes, which would be great. And you can like us on Facebook. My thanks today to Gabe Graben for producing the show, to Betsy Parsons of Glisten, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, for helping pull this whole series together, to Jim Russell for being our consultant, and Maurice Lennon for the music. Coming up next is Speak Freely.